Last Sunday, we began a four-week journey on this Advent celebration, the celebration of the coming of Jesus into the world. And we're calling it Illuminate. And I, I got to tell you, I heard a story after first service that just made me chuckle. The father and son that were sitting here listening to my sermon, he said, my son heard your theme and he was concerned. And I, I, I asked him, well, what's the, what's the problem? He says, well, when we have teams, when people are eliminated, that's a bad thing. I'm, I don't know if this is a good thing, what the preacher's talking about. And so I'll try to enunciate better. We're talking about illuminating, lighting up the world. And last week we looked at the fact that Jesus comes into the world and he is the light of the world that God, when he first enters in, in Genesis one, it's a word of let there be light and things are illuminated. First uh, John one, five, we went to last week. I want to remind us of this truth about who God is. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and him. There is no darkness at all. But the amazing news of Jesus coming into the world is he's the light of the world, but he says something to us in the first sermon he preaches in the book of Matthew. It's a sermon on the Mount. And he talks about light in this sermon. And it's amazing what's said here in light of God being light. Uh, listen to this good word about who we're called to be as the people of God. This is Matthew 5, verse 14 and following. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. I want you to hear that this morning. Clearly church, you are the light of the world. You're called to illuminate the world. Just as God has called light forth in the creation we as his people are called to shine light into this dark world. If the world is dark, it's not the darkness fault. It's the fault of those who are lights, not shining brightly as God has called us to. And so this morning, I want to dwell on that idea, not just of God bringing light into the world. I want to dwell on the idea of us as the people of God being the light that Jesus called us. And what does that look like? How do we engage the world of darkness with the light that God has given to us? Our job is to shine. I want to talk more about that in just a moment. Let's pray as we uh, open up the word this morning. Our Father uh, in heaven, we thank you that you have not eliminated us, God, but you've called us to illuminate this world, that you brought light in the world, you spoke it into existence, and you continue to sustain that light, even in the midst of the darkness where we wonder if the light will be snuffed out. The promise is your kingdom is not in trouble. It cannot be shaken. And so God, this morning, we need that hope and we want to be that hope for others. And so I pray that you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. A few weeks ago, I, I told you that I did a concordance study. I just simply typed in light to BibleGateway.com. And I looked at all the scriptures that talk about light in scripture. I was blown away by how God seems to enter into the world with light. But there was also good news about how we as the people of God are people of light ourselves. This morning, I want to share with you some of those passages. Just remind you of these truths that many of you have known for a long time. But it's important for us to know our identity. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it's the first place I'd like to go to. So if you have your Bibles open there with me and either put your bookmark there or hold that place because we'll come back here a little bit later. But I want to read, starting in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul's words to the church and the Christians there. Verse 4. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. I want you to believe that with every depth of your being this morning. I want to, I want to convince you of this. That you are children of light. 
You are children of the day. And it is so easy to forget that or to doubt that, isn't it? As we go through our lives and we go through dark moments, maybe some of us struggle with anxiety or depression, or we find ourselves just in bondage to sin. And it's so easy to believe that that's not who we are. But over and over again in scripture, this theme comes up again and again from Paul and from other writers. You are light. You are children of the day. He calls those Christians saints, holy ones, over and over again. Isn't that hard to believe? So much easier to believe that we're sinners because of the mistakes that we make. But Paul continues to call them back to this reality. Your identity, your role is to be light and to shine light. And there's a lot in our world that happens that causes us to doubt that role, that identity, isn't there? But before you ever hope to live as light, before you ever hope to proclaim light, you have to believe yourself that there is a flame within you that shines brightly to the world. This is really big for the Apostle Paul. In many of his letters, he starts out trying to get them to believe who they are, to, to set their identity straight. He says, this is your identity. And when he establishes their identity, then he moves to their behavior. Over and over again in his letters, he starts at the beginning of those letters saying, this is who you are. And the second half of the book is, this is what you do as a result of who you are. Now, we've gotten this backwards sometimes in church before as Christians. What we've said is, if you will behave in these ways, then we will accept you as part of this church family. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, I want you to know who you are. You are identified as a child of light. You are a child of the day. This is who you are. And because of that, this is how we behave as a result of our identity. But if we get those things backward, we will strive our entire lives to try to live up to an identity that has already been given to us as the people of God. In the book of Ephesians, there's six chapters that are there. And I'm going to read from Ephesians 5 in just a moment. Before I get there, I want you to see those first three chapters in Ephesians, there are no imperatives in the first three chapters of Ephesians. No commands. Nothing that says this is how you're to live or this is how, what you're to do. Nothing in the first half of that book. Because the first half of the book is Paul working out, this is who you are because of what Jesus has done. At several different places he talks about this. You were saved by grace through faith, he says. You were dead in your transgressions, but God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. You Gentiles were formerly separate from Christ, but now you have been brought near. What Paul is saying is here is your identity. This is who you are, and there's nothing you can do to achieve it. It has been given to you because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. But in chapters four through six, there are over 45 commands. But it's important the order. This is who you are, and because of that, this is how you are to live. And so in chapter 5, we come to one of those commands in verse 8. Listen to these words about light that Paul writes about. For you were once darkness, but now you were light in the Lord. So even before he gets to his command, again in the second half, he's still saying, this is who you are. And then he says, this is how you're to live. Second half of verse 8, or the end of it. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. To find out what pleases the Lord, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated, illuminated, becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Again, he starts with identity, but he says, this is who you are. And it means you don't engage anymore in the deeds of darkness. Those things don't own you. You're not in bondage to them. You are freed from those acts. And then he moves to behavior. This is how you're to live. But it talks about light and what light does. Light exposes the deeds of darkness, doesn't it? In fact, over the last few months, there's been this process again of those in power 
and the reality of allegations that are coming forth. For those who have something to hide, light is a scary reality. But for those who are people of light, light is actually the very thing that exposes the path before us. It's what sets our way in the dark. It is a good thing. So turn back with me to that place you had uh, marked, First uh, Thessalonians 5. I want to finish what Paul says, because he does the same thing. He starts saying they're children of light, but listen again to what he says as command. This is First uh, Thessalonians 5, verse 6. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. He says, be awake, be sober-minded. You know those, they sleep, they sleep at night. Those who get drunk, they, they get drunk at night. But you, you're children of the light. See, light is a welcome gift to those who have nothing to hide. But if you have something to hide, light is the last thing you want shining on what's been done. When do deeds of darkness get done? Just think back in your own journey to some of those moments of greatest regret. We all have them in our past. Most of those moments of regret didn't happen in the middle of the day with a crowd around you. It happened in moments of silence and moments of secrecy and moments of darkness. There's a reason they say, do you know where your kids are? Nothing good happens after 10 o'clock, right? After midnight, right? Because we know this truth that under the cover of darkness, things happen that wouldn't happen otherwise. Uh, I debated whether I should tell this story or not, but I think I can trust you all to keep it in the room. And those of you online, do the same thing, please. Uh, when I was a senior at Dallas Christian High School, by the way, this is one of those stories that teens in the room do as I say, not as I do kind of thing. Maybe your parents have said that. When I was a senior in high school at Dallas Christian, I was on the football team, and there was a night where we got together. I think it was after the football season when we uh, all got together at a guy's house, and for some reason, his parents weren't there. Uh, it was under the cover of night, if you can believe it or not. And, and so there was a guy there who had a BB gun with him at the house. And he said, why don't we all go up on the roof? You can, now, don't get ahead of the story. I know what y'all are thinking, all right? I'm going to go up on the roof, and I'm, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So we all climb up on the roof of the house. Now, the house, like, you know, the, the roof sloped toward the street on the front side, but on the back side, it's covered up, so you thought that no one could see anything on the back side, right? So we get up on this roof, we've got a BB gun, and one of the guys starts shooting at cars that are driving by. And I'm thinking, this is not good, right? But you know how it is, mob behavior, teenage guys. I wish I had the CTE defense then that I realized is going on with football today. But, but we, we're shooting cars. One guy shoots at a city bus that passes by. And I, I can't remember who started all this, and I, surely I wasn't one who actually hit one. I wasn't a good shot, but, but I, we kept doing this, and then all of a sudden there was this one car, and the rest had just kind of passed by. Either we'd hit them or we hadn't, but we hit this one car, and it stopped in the middle of the street. And all of a sudden, it goes around the corner of the house, and we hadn't considered that people might be able to drive around the corner of the house and see us from up there, right? We're hidden from the street, but they drive around and we're thinking, oh great, we're in huge trouble. So we, we run off, we, you know, we get off as fast as we can, as safely as we can from the roof. We go inside the house and we're just, we're worried for that knock or that doorbell ring to come. There wasn't anything for 30 minutes. And then we saw red and blue lights flashing outside the, our window. And we were all just terrified, right? Like what's going to happen? And I still remember giving my identification to the police and and then having to go home and that worry all the way home of having to tell mom and dad what had happened. I guarantee you with that punishment, it never happened again, right? And after first service, there were so many people that were coming up telling stories because these moments are all there for us, right? Something we would never do in the middle of the day. But all of a sudden, when you have the illusion of cover at night, you think that you're covered. You think no one can tell. You think no one would know where these shots are coming from. And 
When we open John chapter three, we actually find a story that's a lot like that. A story about things being hidden in the darkness. It's a little different story than BB guns, I'll tell you, but it's a story that I think is still under the cover and the illusion of what happens at night. Listen to this story. This is Nicodemus. Nicodemus is one of the main teachers of the Jewish leaders of that time. And he comes to Jesus, but I want you to notice the detail about when he comes to see Jesus. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. You notice that detail, the beginning of verse 2. He came to them at night. Now, this detail is not an accidental detail. The gospel writer in John knows exactly what he's doing. In fact, John has a theme running throughout his gospel about the difference between night and day, about the difference between dark and light. In a couple of weeks, we'll talk about Jesus in John chapter one. And that same image of light coming into the darkness is what describes Jesus coming into the world. It's not an accident that he uses this cover of night because that's when you go to do things. And and Nicodemus, I'm sure, doesn't want the Jewish ruling counselor to know who he's going to. Because Jesus must be this false prophet, they believe, right? But he's going and he's saying, who, who are you? We know that you teach with authority. And it's an amazing conversation. He talks about, it's important that you're born again. But later on in verse 19, I want you to hear this theme of dark and light. It comes back to that uh, when John's recounting this story. This is the verdict. Verse 19, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. You see, evildoers hate the light. Thieves, they hate the light. BB gun shooters on roofs hate the light, right? But you're children of light. I want to assure you of your identity. You are not people who are caught up in darkness and people of darkness. You are children of the day. You are a child of the light. But isn't it easy sometimes in the midst of our world to forget our identity and to get caught up in the darkness? In fact, the people of God have a history of forgetting who they are in the midst of dark moments in the world. During Jesus last week in Jerusalem, things are about to get dark. In fact, when he dies, darkness covers Jerusalem in that scene. But before all that, he's coming into Jerusalem and there's this scene at the temple. You remember Jesus gets pretty upset because in the court of the Gentiles, there are people that are selling things, right? There's people that are selling all kinds of things. They're creating noise and havoc and chaos and it's consumeristic moments happening. It's not just the consumerism of the moment, though. It's important to see what's going on here because uh, in, in that court, this was the closest place that Gentiles and women could come to the presence of God at the temple in Jerusalem. Inside of that, only Jewish men could go closer, and even the priests could go even closer than that. But this was the court of the Gentiles, and so this is the closest point that these outsiders, these Gentiles, who are promised they'll get to come into the story of God, it's the closest they can get in there, changing changing money at tables, they're creating chaos in the scene, and Jesus is upset about it. I want you to hear about his frustration. This is Luke chapter 19, verse 45 and 46. Listen to one of the images he uses here. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, sometimes we miss the depth of what Jesus is saying here. He's not coming up with a new image, den of robbers. He's going back to another story all the way back in the Old Testament where this image is used before. I think the context is really important to understand why Jesus is so upset here. 
It's the prophet Jeremiah. If you want to turn there with me, it's Jeremiah chapter 7, where this image first comes up in Scripture. He's channeling Jeremiah's frustration with the people of God. You see, God had told Jeremiah, I want you to go to the the house of worship. I want you to go to the temple of the Lord. I want you to declare a message to the people of God. And in Jeremiah chapter 7, we read what that message is. So imagine yourself this morning. You're coming to church with your family, walking in and all your you know, get, getting ready to come in and do all that you're going to do here. And then you have this loud mouth prophet, that crazy Jeremiah, who's yelling these words at you. Listen to this. Jeremiah 7 verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord all God, Almighty, the God of Israel says. Reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods you've not known, and then come stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say, we're safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I've been watching, declares the Lord. You get the picture here? Here's Jeremiah at the temple of the Lord at the gate. And he's telling these people who are about to enter in to the sanctuary of God. Hey, um, if you think you're okay to just kind of do your misdeeds out there and then wander into this place, claiming sanctuary and safe house for all of that iniquity and all of that oppression, you just come in here because this is the temple of the Lord. You're not as safe as you think you are because where the spirit of the Lord is, the light exposes those deeds of darkness. See, worship doesn't cancel out unrighteousness. It's not like we come in to cancel out all the deeds of darkness we do during the week. It's not okay, Jeremiah is saying, to go out there and do all that. And then he uses this image of a den of robbers. What he's saying, imagine that with me. The definition of a den I saw this week in those days was this, a cave or a hollow used for concealment, shelter, and protection. And Jeremiah is saying, that, okay, you're a bunch of thieves who do your deeds of darkness and you think you're safe to come in these doors and to hide the things you've stolen and to proclaim the temple of the Lord and then go out in all that danger. And then you're going to come back in next week. And it's not okay. When Jesus clears the temple, he's channeling this very image from Jeremiah. He's saying, you remember when Jeremiah called you robbers who came into your safe space of the temple? It's exactly what's going on when you go out and do these deeds and then you sell all these wares in the temple and you forget this is not a place to come and hide from all the iniquity you do the rest of the week. In other words, he's saying, have you no shame? This is the place of God. This is the place where darkness is not allowed. This is the place where people of light come to recharge their batteries and to shine them forth again in the world. If your religious services and sanctuaries are where you do your deeds of darkness and hide, you have missed the picture of what this is all about. This is a grim picture. And I know I've had moments in my life where I've felt this way coming into church. I I just felt like a hypocrite because the honest truth was I was doing deeds of darkness and I would come into church and I would sing songs. It would make no difference on the rest of my life or the way that I lived in the world. And it was just like, this was the safe place 
where I would confess my sins and then it would be the same thing week after week. No change to the life that God had called me to. But it's hard in those moments to sing songs to God, isn't it? There's moments where prayer is the last thing on your mind because you know that the light that you're called to shine in the world is actually more darkness that's taken over your life. But I want to remind each and every one of us this morning, even those who feel this morning like hypocrites or that the sin will never go away, your identity is not as a child of darkness. You're a child of light. You're a child of the day. And it's important that we understand our identity so that our behavior can follow from that. Darkness cannot prevail over the light. Light always dispels the darkness. And there are reasons for hope. Because you're children of light and children of of light are called to illuminate the dark places. So how is it that we do that? How do we find ourselves from being people who find church as a place where we hide as robbers to realizing that we're really just children of light that are called to shine our lights in the darkness? How do we make that change? How does illumination happen in the world? I want to share one last passage with you as we close our time this morning. Another passage about illumination. I was shocked when I found this because I've read this passage before about fasting, but I've never gotten to this passage thinking about illumination, about light, but it's there. I've never seen it before. Isaiah 58, I want to read to you this word about fasting. And I think this may be a word for those of you who are wanting to be light in this world in this season in Christmas of how to go about that, of how to shine your light, of how to illuminate this world. There's a word here, I think, for you that I would challenge our families to engage in the coming weeks. Isaiah 58, beginning in verse 1. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. We'll come to that in just a moment. It's the same image that Isaiah gives when he's proclaiming this message. He's saying, don't just come in here one day a week and do all that other deeds of darkness out there. No, no, no. When you come in here, what you're doing is reminding yourself of who you are. And it's not just enough to fast for one day. True fasting that God wants isn't just making sure our bellies are rumbling. It's making sure you feed the bellies of others when you aren't providing for yourself. True fasting is to make sure that the cords of injustice are done away with in the world. This is the darkness in the world out there. And it's the call for the church to act as light, to change that reality in our world. Many of you are doing this every single day when you enter into the world. It's your work. It's your vocation. It's the calling you've been given to shine light into the dark places, to call out what is untrue and to speak truth. 
to find injustice and work against it, to feed those who don't have food. It's to find those places that are dark in our world and to shine a light into them with good news of what God will do again in the end. And this image of light comes up in verses 8 to 10. This is where I want to center uh, this teaching right here. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Again, that's not, it's not when we do our fasting. It's when our fasting is the fasting that God requires that we change this reality. world. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, the pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Well, when I was thinking about passages about light, I didn't think about this passage. We tend to think about Jesus entry in the world or you were the light of the world and all of that is true. But I want you to hear this calling because you're children of light. And as children of light, we don't find our places in the dark spaces. We don't go on the backside of roofs with BB guns. We stand in the light with the word of Christ. We stand in the light and we speak against the places of darkness in our world and we move against them and we take action against those things. So I wonder what that looks like for your family this week. What does it look like to ensure that the darkness continues to lose? What does it look like for your family, for you and in, in your household to find a way to live this out? Not just a day of fasting, not just a day of worship, but a day of worship that goes forth from here and shines light into those dark places. What does it look like for your family in this season to find a way to feed those who have empty bellies? What does it look like for your family to ensure that those who don't have justice find it in the next step? We have opportunities in this season to do that. I want to encourage you to think about that in your own life. What does it look like to take that step of illuminating the world, of bringing forth the noonday in the midst of the darkness of our world? Our world needs it right now. It needs a church that won't be silent or cover up our lights. It needs a church that's on his mission, doing the very thing he's called us to do. This is the justice of God. It's easy in our world to think that light is losing. We, we see all the allegations, we see all of the division, we see all that's going on in our world. It's easy to, to lose hope. It's easy to think that our little light doesn't make a difference. But that's not the truth, because the truth is this. Darkness is losing. 